0: I think it's important that organizations and and charities stay with their mission, that they don't don't bend with the times because that builds credibility. People know they can depend on you. They know where their money's going uh, and you have to fight.
1: Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here with Lois Lee. Lois is the founder and president of Children of the Night. Children of the Night is a nonprofit organization and that she has founded and has been running for 40 years now, over 40 years now. And I'll let you describe a little bit about what that's all about.
0: Well, Children of the Night was the first uh, child sex trafficking program in North America. It started in 1975 when I was a PhD student at UCLA in sociology and anthropology. And uh, it was before the word sex trafficking was even, uh, even before sex trafficking was even invented. And uh, I, as a graduate student, had to do quantitative analysis and decided to sue the police department for not arresting an equal number of customers. I partnered with a lawyer and I was a researcher and uh, a university instructor and had a research team that was funded by the Department of Health, Education and Welfare. And um, I ran my classroom out of the courthouse and we analyzed over 3,000 police reports filed by the Los Angeles Police Department. It's 3,000 a year. I think we looked at five years and we did a random sample. Um, and found that, you know, only prostitutes were arrested and that um, rarely were pimps or customers or anyone else ever arrested. And I use that data to sue the. We use the data to sue the police department for not arresting an equal number of customers, which is one of the reasons today you see uh, police task forces, you know, arresting customers who try and pick up girls on the street. And during those court cases, there were not very many women in the courthouse, and um, I would sit next to the young women, and they would tell me about their lives and ask me to help them with problems unrelated to prostitution, um, and I agreed to help them, and. Uh, during that time, 10 girls had been killed by serial murders known as the Hillside Stranglers. And uh, they called one of the girls who was an 18-year-old madam, ran an escort service. She called me one night, uh, told me she sent out a girl and uh, that the, girl, the guy wasn't answering the phone and the girl didn't call back. And uh, I proceeded to try and coordinate the police and track where she, he had actually called because he had changed the address and, and where he had actually had her go to. I had the address of so where they were and the police wouldn't go. And I was pretty upset at three o'clock, I was in the police station till, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning. I then went home. I called a news reporter who'd been covering my court cases and said, get up. We got another one. And he said, you're kidding. I said, no. So well, he went out to the location and verified her car was at the address. He couldn't get in. It was a locked building. And the next morning, the police found her body there. And I was the one who had the only clues on this. These guys who had killed 11 young prostitutes that nobody seemed to care about.
1: Wow, and that was the Hillside Strangler back in the, uh, was that the 70s or 80s? 1977. 77, wow.
0: And so the next morning when the police, you know, had me come because they wanted the information from me, so on and so forth, um, I ended up, uh, I went on the news and I said, if you're involved in the prostitution business and you don't want to, you know, talk to the police, and and uh, and but you know who the strangler is, call me and put my home phone number up.
1: Wow, and so then what happened?
0: Well, my home phone number became a hotline for people in the underworld. I became a legend immediately among pimps, pornographers, sex club owners, organized crime, you know, you name it. And uh, my phone rang off the hook. And thank goodness KNBC and ABC and KFWB joined me. And we sat and we fielded the calls and we split them up. And we all took to the streets to follow up on leads.
1: I imagine you had some calls that were uh, pleading for help and others were very angry at you. Did you have the whole spectrum of people calling you?
0: The only people who were angry with me were the police.
1: Oh, the police were angry. Why were the police angry with you?
0: Because I was interfering with their investigation, and it made them look bad.
1: But you really changed the way the policing is done, though, now, didn't you?
0: Absolutely. It yeah, did. And much for yeah. the better. Yeah, and I get called on for other serial murders and, and uh, investigations throughout the country.
1: Wow, that's incredible. So you started off on your own. Then how has the company grown, or your staff, have you grown into a, a large organization now, medium size? Or what are you like today?
0: Well, what happened was that the people in the adult entertainment industry, that Congress had changed a law where the police could no longer arrest children who would run away from home. So what happened is that the adult entertainment industry had a flux of kids, runaways, looking for work, dancing on stages, posing as adults with fake ID. And the owners wanted me to get the kids out of their business, basically. And, um, And so I said, okay, they can come stay with me. And I called foster care and they wouldn't take them. And juvenile courts wouldn't put them in homes because it was not a crime against uh, society. And so it didn't warrant spending taxpayers' funds. And over the next three years, over 250 kids came through my apartment. I took them to school with me when I was teaching. I took them to my classes. Um, and, uh, And they'd come and go back and forth to the streets and stuff. And then there was a little documentary on me and uh, President Reagan, his kitchen cabinet, had seen this little show and called me up and said, we're going to help you.
1: Wow, fantastic. And this was all in the in the late 70s then, that this happened, early 80s probably, at that time.
0: Late 70s, and the, the, the piece aired in 1979, and they gave me enough money to uh, set up a drop-in center, tried to put together a nonprofit organization around me, um, a corporation around me, and the women of the Republican Party refused to do it. So a, ma- uh, a man that um, who was really surprised everybody, um, not me so much, but um, his name is Hugh Hefner. Oh. And Playmate of the Year, Cindy Wood, came to me and took me to dinner and said, Hef watches everything you do on TV. He's really supportive. He's going to help you call him.
1: Wow, that's incredible. So here, Hugh Hefner of Playboy magazine is contacting you and saying, we, we want to help you get these girls off the street
0: wasn't so much get off the streets he was scared for me and and because I was taking on the police and he believed that the, the issues were correct that that you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander if the girls are going to be arrested the men should be arrested too not a popular position for someone like him right uh, but he is a strong civil rights activist so um and then I had these kids and he knew people were not helping me and he and I think because of his fear for a young woman who was out there challenging the police he wanted to protect me with a corporation and. And he did. He helped me put together the Corporation of Children of the Night. His uh, Richard S. Roseswag, Senior Vice President, who carried out all of the things with Playboy that Hugh Hefner wanted, um, became my chairman of the board and led the formal development of a corporation for Children of the Night.
1: Wow. So Hugh Hefner really helped start, get you started off into the corporate structure and to get you going the way you are right now then.
0: Yes. And his son now still is on my board. Yes. You know, he was with me all the way. Yeah, the he, he, you know he. Um, he they, their publicity department helped me. Their lawyers helped me. Their personnel, human resources people helped me put together that part. Um, our board meetings were in the Playboy Board of Directors room. It was, you know, our hotline trainings were in the Playboy Board of Directors rooms. So, you know, he was very, very helpful. He allowed us to use the Playboy Mansion for fundraising.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. You so to Hollywood,
0: basically, and and that's where a lot of our money came from.
1: So, Lois, take us through, if you can, real quickly, the 90s, the 2000s, and the, and the last few decades, and really, have you seen changes taking place for the better and or for the worse in what you're doing?
0: Well, it's all bad. I don't think any of it's good. Um, but I can tell you the difference in the 70s, kids were on Sunset Boulevard, hundreds of them working for pimps that presumably owned corners. They didn't own the real estate, but they dominated that territory. Um, and by the 80s, the, the, there was even more kids on the streets and there were kids running away. And the punk movement I've always maintained um, was an, the kids' attempt to escape pimps because if they did weird things with their hair and put earrings where they didn't belong and did tattoos, the customers, the pimps, couldn't sell them. Mm. So, and they lived in the condemned buildings. And there was another whole set of problems because those condemned buildings were controlled by parolees who were really pretty vicious criminals that harmed them. Um, by the 90s, the gangs hit the area, and the gangs hit all the major cities, and it pushed prostitution into the suburbs, um, and uh, that created its own set of problems. They even took over the boys who were working as prostitutes on the streets, and uh, the, boy, the boys would have to pay them to work on the streets. By the 2000s, you saw the internet come along, um, and, um, and and then a lot of things went online. Gangs still controlled the streets and and the online activity was to protect yourself from the gangs and from the pimps, uh, even though the pimps were placing ads on the online activity. Um, And then I watched government, you know, I was very instrumental, um, and Congressman Berman had given me an opportunity to go to Janet Reno's town hall meeting when she first became the U.S. Attorney General, and I asked her, what do you plan to do about children who are transported from state to state for purposes of prostitution? And she said, here, I'm going to give you a personal fax number. I want to know anybody that works for me that's not prosecuting these cases. Hmm. So it started. And I, I'm very popular around among local law enforcement. And I coordinated local law enforcement to give me the information of the FBI and the U.S. attorneys who wouldn't prosecute these kids, the pimps that were moving these kids around. And, uh, and in came the FBI. And it was with a mixed blessing. In the beginning, it was very good. Today, it's not so good because um, they have taken over jurisdiction of these kids uh, such that if you are providing children um, services and and you have contact with the child sex trafficking victim, you have to call the human trafficking hotline, which is an FBI front, and the FBI comes out. And if there's a pimp involved, you go to solitary confinement in juvenile hall and sit there until you testify against the pimp trafficker, which is often a loved one or relative.
1: Right. So that that doesn't serve that doesn't serve that girl very well then, does it?
0: No, it does not. It harms and moves them oftentimes into more serious kinds of crimes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and show on the night in terms of its growth. I moved the, the, the Reagan's kitchen cabinet gave me the money and moved me into uh, the drop-in center, which was in the heart of Hollywood, which was the first thing of its kind. I had street teams working all over the western region of the United States and San Francisco, Oregon, Arizona, uh, Seattle, you name it. We were there, truck stops. Um, And we're very famous among the streets and accepted as part of the subculture. But the kids needed a home. And uh, I was fortunate enough, I was at a conference and someone introduced me to a woman who I didn't know was a producer for 60 minutes. I was five months pregnant at the time. And she said to me, "Um, look, uh, I'm going to do a story on you. And the angle of the story was the fact this young woman was taking children who are prostitutes off the streets. She was pregnant. She knew all the pimps. So she was friends with kind of friends with the pimps. I didn't hang out with them, but you know, I was accepted in the subculture so they could film me being on the streets talking to pimps. Um, and my chief supporter was Hugh Hefner. And that documentary raised over $7 million, which allowed me to purchase a $2 million home or a million dollar home, renovate it for a million dollars and set up a residential program, which was a world-class shelter. Over 3,000 children had lived there. We operated it for 25 years. Our kids uh, they were dressed by Nike. Um, they, were, uh, they had their hair done in Beverly Hills by Beverly Hills hairdressers who donated their time. Um, celebrities came in and ran acting workshops. Uh, they, they got to participate in the gift uh, events for the Grammys and the Emmys. and It was really world class. We had a private on-site school that put hundreds of kids in college until the government changed this law.
1: And, and how do they so I mean, safe to say you've you've saved thousands of lives, really, and brought them off the street and really changed, made a huge impact on so many people. But what has happened now that the, the government has changed what law and what has reverted back right now?
0: Well, now kids are entitled to foster homes. That's something I wanted. And I think that that's good for younger kids. But some kids, you know, they don't want to be in foster homes and they run from them. And um, and the fact that they're held in jail until they testify against someone they don't want to testify against. And sometimes it's dangerous testifying against a, a gang member. Um, so uh, the, for me to provide a shelter, it was like I would have to report my kids to the, to the FBI. I would not do that. I would, you. And I would, I mean, the, the state was shattered when I said that. I'm closing. And they said, please, please, there's all kinds of money. You can, you know, I, I'm not working for, I'm not foster care. I'm not working for the government. I'm working for my kids. Mm. And the kids said, I can't stay in shelter anymore. I got to go. And I said, wait, wait, I'm going with you.
1: And so, so I adapted
0: very quickly in terms of taking my programs online and, uh, and went from helping increase my client caseload by 90%.
1: So Lois, you've, you've really, over the last 40 years, your business has changed tremendously and you've changed with it and you've overcome so many different challenges. And as I mentioned to you earlier, the, the crux of this show that you're on right now is the challenges that business owners have faced and how they've overcome them. Do you want to address that in particular? Here we are, April 9th, 2020, in the middle of this pandemic that's going on. How is that in particular affecting the work that you do with the, with the girls and boys on the street right now and with that, that whole industry?
0: Well, many of our kids, we, we were able to get them out of prostitution, or some were still doing prostitution, but we were providing online tutoring two hours a week for the high school equivalency, and then paying for their tests, and doing resume preparation, helping them transition from the streets into jobs and, and advanced education. Um, with this, it's put them right back into poverty, because they've lost their jobs. And some of them have kids and their kids don't have schools. So our tutoring programs is now we're, we're tutoring, pri- trying to provide lesson plans for their children who are at home, who don't ha- go to schools that have school lesson plans arranged, or they don't have computers, they don't have access to the things that other kids have because they're poor. Hmm. Um, and our hotline, it's rather than going from, we're doing less resume preparation and we're doing more, you know, shipping hygiene items and, and um, water and, and uh, baby supplies and, and food and things for survival. We'll Is see there, our way through it. And, and you know, it, it's kind of our kids are tough because they've, they've seen harder times than this.
1: Yeah, your kids are survivors, I would think, and they, they get through this. But I would imagine with this whole stay at home order and, the, and people not going out, I mean, I wouldn't imagine there's much demand for their services right now. Or am I wrong? Is that still going on like it always has been?
0: Oh, yes, it's still going on. It's still on the streets. Gangs are on the streets and, and the young prostitutes are on the streets.
1: Wow. So um, this whole pandemic hasn't changed that supply and demand for their services then?
0: Well, it has for sex workers. You oh, know, a regular clientele who make more money. But in terms of your street crack addict, drug addict, you know, poor and the pimps and the gangs, not, not so much. hmm.
1: You know? Interesting. Um, Interesting.
0: And I know sex workers have tried to, you know, go online and create porn sites, solo porn sites so that they can make money, but you, you don't get a following real fast. You know, that's a business that you really have to, you have to work and develop a following. Right. Uh, we do know that we've got a couple of cases that remind me of the old days. We've got kids that are calling that are stuffed in the back of cars, who are in apartment buildings with guys in the other room. They're locked down. They don't know where they are. So they don't have the freedom to move around. And I suspect they're going to be used for pornography. And because pedophiles and and uh, pornographers, not regular pornographers, but pedophile pornographers, not the commercial part, I want to be clear on that, um, you know, they have websites, they have access, they communicate through, so it's easy, and they have followings, so it's easy for them to, you know, use these kids in pornography. So yeah, we'll, we'll and I imagine there's a lot of, of
1: trafficking across the border then, isn't there? I mean, is there not too much involved with that, or is it mo- mostly domestic kids that are here already that are the issue?
0: mostly domestic. We don't see... Our kids that have come from Mexico who are involved in prostitution, many of them were... Their parents came here for work, then their parents sent for them. They were molested in their home countries, but the prostitution they were introduced to through schools, through gang members.
1: Interesting. And Lois, your organization is nationwide then, correct? It's... uh, You have a hotline...
0: We're also working with uh, child sex trafficking victims who are living in Christian homes throughout Southeast Asia, Nepal, India, and Africa.
1: That's incredible. Well, congratulations. Lois, what, what, what lessons would you like to pass on that you've learned in particular with, with running a nonprofit, running the organization that you're doing to other business owners, business owners or leaders of companies or leaders of nonprofits, for that matter, that are going through challenges right now? What lessons at all would you want to pass along?
0: I think it's important that organizations and, and charities stay with their mission, that they don't, they don't bend with the times. Um, and I can say that we, Children the Night has stayed with its mission, no matter how rough it's been, um, because that builds credibility. People know they can depend on you. They know where their money's going. Uh, and you have to fight. I mean, it's, it's easier to change the, oh, well, this is the flavor of this year or this you know, decade and to change your mission. But you're basically starting your organization all over again. And I don't think board members who are often remote volunteers understand that. And that's what has put Children of the Night ahead. Children of the Night was there before the word sex trafficking was invented. Sex trafficking is starting to lose in its popularity in terms of funding and what it is. And it's starting you know, to be investigated in terms of where the, where the funds are going and is the law enforcement effort or um, so on and so forth. And we just stay with the course. And, and, uh, and we're very successful doing that.
1: How do you measure your success?
0: By the number of children that we permanently remove from the streets.
1: And you can actually track that number and say uh, this year it's the up or down and that that type of thing?
0: Um, Yes, we can. We have over we have over a thousand kids who are active alumni. We have kids who are retired Homeland Security. I've been in business so long. Uh, We have kids who are bankers. We have kids who are firefighters for the fire department, Um, social workers, therapists, um, just about everything. Pharmacists almost everything that you can imagine. Sometimes you know I'll have kids call my office and they'll say to someone who answers the phone, I'll "Have Lois call me back." And when she calls, have her say she's my cousin, Priscilla. And my staff will go, "What's that about?" And I'll say, "The most embarrassing thing to her in her life is to explain to people how she knows me." Oh, yep. Priscilla is her cousin, so I have to go undercover to call yeah, them, because we're calling a pimp, but because I'm calling their families or yeah, a, a husband or you know a home where they live or a workplace.
1: That's remarkable, and Lois. You. It's just a remarkable story that you have here. If someone wanted to get a hold of you or to help donate to the organization, I mean, what? How? what's the best way? What numbers or what ways are there to reach out to you and your organization?
0: The easiest way is to go to our website, childrenofthenight.org. My number is there under contact us. Uh, there's a messaging op- opportunity or hotline numbers there. It's just the simplest way, childrenofthenight.org.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today and I really appreciate you being on the show and a fascinating story and we wish you the best of luck.
0: Thank you so much, Don.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.